If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael Fiedler. And gentlemen, if your vacuum cleaner attacks your neighbor, whose fault is it? The neighbor's fault, because why are they anywhere in proximity to my vacuum cleaner in the first place? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Ooh, very good. All right. All right. So let me take that a step further. If your vacuum cleaner hops your fence and gores your neighbor over on their property, <laughs> now whose fault is it? Who built the fence first off? Oh, very good. Okay. <laughs> what if what if your neighbor comes at your invitation onto your property and then your vacuum cleaner attacks your neighbor? Oh. See, and these are, we're like doing this whole Talmudic scholar thing about ox goring the neighbor. And and I love how Matt's already, you know, going down the, the rabbit trails of the, the various permutations of these things. Because that's how it's got to go, right? It's not an easy question to answer. What if your neighbor kills your vacuum cleaner because your vacuum cleaner wandered onto your neighbor's property, right? Mm. And what if it's not your vacuum cleaner? What if it's your tractor or your lawnmower? And it was putting your neighbor's child in danger. Yeah, that's that's deep. That's that, that's that's a that's a tricky one, right? Yeah. You know, do they have to pay you for your for your lawnmower if they shoot it? You know. Uh, <laughs> so the reason we're talking about this in some rather arcane ways is um, this week's topic is home network defense and worse, home network penetration and exploitation. Who is legally, financially, ethically, and morally responsible for protecting your network? And who's legally, ethically, morally, and financially responsible for protecting themselves from your network? And if your network's used offensively, who's responsible for that? These are these are some really pertinent questions in terms of IoT devices. Um, a few years back, the Mirai uh, exploit used people's home network devices, often security cameras that were internet enabled, to launch DDoS attacks. So a lot of people who had things like, and I'm not picking on a vendor, but if they had like a ring doorbell that got penetrated, the ring doorbell was used to launch sin floods against somebody else. Um, I love this topic. Rafti, you brought this topic to us. I want to get your take on this. If somebody penetrates my network and uses my refrigerator to launch a DDoS attack, is it my fault because I allowed my refrigerator to get penetrated? <laughs> well, what I wanted to sort of like, the reason why I brought it up was because like through like uh, different internet uh, means, uh, and some report got into my direction, which I 
don't actually like the data is a little bit unclear. But what I found very interesting was that this question was asked to different people, apparently, uh, who got different answers. And maybe we can share the screenshot of this, but I'm not sure. Like, as I said, like the data is a little bit dubious. Um, but apparently there's a difference, like um, geographically from what when they, um, when they asked people in Europe think and what when they asked people, were they asking random people or were they asking security practitioners or? Um, great question as well. See, I, I looked into the report and this is the reason why um, when talking pre-show, uh, Ben was already explaining that we probably will not link to it. Um, they don't tell. Um, okay. so I have a lot of like, and this is the reason why okay. I'm like, so I don't care about the report. This. I want to get <laughs> exactly. your opinion, Rafty. I don't care about the report. I want to get your uh, opinion. Yeah. From my perspective, if my fridge attacks someone whose fault is that? Yeah. And I would say like, if, if you did everything that like by uh, expected from you in the installation guide and this still happened, I think it's the vendor's fault. Ooh, now that's a new take because uh, Rafi is usually on the side of uh, caveat emptor. Yeah, you know, the consumer knew what they were buying. So if the consumer bought the refrigerator and the refrigerator attacks someone, it's all on the consumer. That's what I expected Rafi to say. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, see, this is the thing where I'm like, if you installed it correctly and I did. Uh, the hang on a second. I want to get, I want to get Matt's take on this first. And then okay, I'll, sorry. I'll, I'll go. Yeah. No. Matt, what do you think? If my refrigerator attacks somebody. Whose fault is it? Oh, I, it's, um, that's always a question for the lawyers. So I would say it's the lawyer's fault, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I think that I might agree with Rafi on this one. I think that it's probably the vendor's fault because again, as I have said multiple times over multiple episodes, people end users are oblivious to and uninterested in proper security of their devices, networks, and they're incapable of working on them and securing them to a point that they can be uh, uh, completely neutered and unable to do any sort of attacks. So you cannot expect the end user, the consumer, the purchaser, the buyer of any uh, IoT device or, or network security thing to do the right thing. So therefore, it's incumbent on the vendor to do the right thing before it ever hits uh, the uh, the sales floor and is sold to the end user. Yeah. That's my take on it. Okay. All right. So, so both of you are saying it's the vendor's fault. My question is, isn't that infantilizing customers and depriving them of agency and adult responsibility? If I buy a gun and somebody comes and steals my gun and uses my gun to shoot somebody else, should that be Smith and Wesson's fault? Oh boy. Now we're getting the whole other argument of whether gun manufacturers should be liable for the uh, <laughs> crime. It's, it's pretty much with. it's pretty much the same question, right? Yeah. No, I I sort of disagree. Like in regards to the fridge, um, like if it, there is a vulnerability within the fridge, and you were talking about like stuff that got hacked and so on, so I presume, like from the context of how we approach this topic, that we're talking about stuff. And and also in general, we're talking about cyber attacks in general. So like you cannot update the firmware or like if there is not no path to updating the firmware of your fridge and it is internet connected, well, how can you protect it? Like if you want to okay. use it, All right. if you want to use it, how it is intended and sort of like watch your YouTube while you're sort of like preparing your meals, I don't know. And then while watching, while having an internet connection open, something gets injected. 
I think that's absolutely the vendor's fault and that vendor has to update it. And maybe you as the user are like responsible for updating it and having like this awareness that your stuff needs to be updated. But in the end, I'd okay. say it's All stuff right. like that. So, so if I understand you correctly, Rafti, I just want, I want to make sure I'm getting this. You're going with the presumption that the device by default can't be updated and then therefore it's the vendor's fault. And and I got to say I'm I'm with you there. If if the owner, if the user can't adjust the thing, then yes, obviously the vendor has to be responsible because it's their sole control. But I don't know why you made that assumption. I mean, there's a lot of home devices that I could update if I wanted to. But I might choose not to. Is that become my fault then? <laughs> I, I think at some point, yes, I I would say so. If okay. it's negligence, and that's basically the thing, like with a gun, like if you carry it properly, if you secure it properly, then of course everything is fine. And if then somebody attacks you, sort of like, and grabs your gun and then shoots somebody else with it, of course it's not your fault. Or like at least that's what I would say, you know. But if sure. you leave okay. it like on your like lawn somewhere open and a kid comes picks it up plays with it and then shoots somebody then you're like yeah that's sort of like at least partly your fault as well for contributory like, negligence exactly, i left exactly. the firearm out where it was an attractive nuisance i should have anticipated someone coming along and taking it that's definitely my fault right and this is sort of the reason why i wanted to sort of like bring it back in here and why i found this interesting and sort of like the data interesting uh because like we as security people we i think usually think of yeah well we need to update this stuff we need to look at it but i think from from like with all those cyber threats they're like hidden to us like talking about a lawn talking about like a sidewalk and a gun this is all physical we see it we understand the dangers there but in regards to having like your fridge not being up to date uh or like even worse like your your um like a firewall on your home network or like in your company being like, no, I don't want the downtime. I, I want to keep it running as long as possible. Uh, nothing bad will come of this, you know, keep the Windows XP machine running. Who knows, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, because like there, there are risks to this, but we don't see them. Like we don't perceive them as, as badly as this. And Given okay. given the option, like um, when we think like I already picked the vendor, but like there are different op like there can be different options who could secure them, uh, and I think like in this space there are more and more like um, people who claim they protect your privacy or like security and stuff like that. Uh, for instance, I would say um, like uh, the your ISP. And some people say the government and some people say police and local authorities. I mean, we talked about this like in a couple of episodes ago and like you've been like saying like it's for the deity, you know, this is this is saying, well, somebody else needs to look after me, look after my protection and stuff like that. And we all like sort of, I think you, Ben, as well, agreed that it should be sort of like the device vendor. Um, but like, what about all these other options? Why do we disregard them? And is this valid? And can we sort of like um is it is it correct is there a different option i'm I'm just well, like well, see see i i'm see i'm looking at at two different questions here um because okay. you're uh, you're asking who should protect us and i'm asking who should be responsible for the attack correct me if i'm wrong i think we all agree the person responsible for the damage 
is the person who penetrated the home network and exploited the device. It's the criminal's fault, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Matt, am I wrong here? Are we, we're not going to blame the victim, are we? Right. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It is the criminal's fault. But we, the, the caveat to that, the flip side of the coin to that is we've all also seen that the criminals rarely, if ever, actually get caught, mm. usually because they are not local to your jurisdiction or under any kind of jurisdiction where they can be prosecuted or even found out for that matter, because in general, they tend to be from other countries, from other um, uh, jurisdictions and, and, and things, and, and no one really cares enough to go pursue them or they are protected by whatever their local laws are. So the I, I honestly don't know. I don't have the data to support or counter that statement. I don't know how mm -hmm. many of the attacks occur, how many are successful, and how many result in prosecution. I really, I, I don't have that data. Do you I can tell you that in my personal experience, and this is anecdotal, but in my personal experience, 100% of the attacks that I have been uh, a party to uh, in resolving or, or investigating, 100% have been from outside of the United States. And the resources to follow that up are just, they are those not, are pretty insurmountable for local law enforcement. Right. That's, a, that's a fairly significant deal. Not, yeah, Therefore, we just don't have the bandwidth to address them. So now, and, and then this is kind of what I think Rafti's talking about is, when we have to consider the fact that the damage is a foregone conclusion, that the attacks aren't going to stop, and that we can't find and punish everybody, even ex post facto, now the question is, how do we prevent it and who should be responsible for preventing or at least mitigating it? Is that is that kind of where you're at, Rafti? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Responsible. Okay. And I think this can be the case and sort of like when we're talking about me as an individual or maybe like the vendor. But uh, when you're saying like law enforcement does not have the capabilities, should we sort of like enable this? If they should be the ones, should they get more resources for this and stuff like that? It's just like we're moving into a world where less and less people understand what is going on. And um, I think this is an, is a very interesting question just from a philosophical perspective, like uh, who, when does the protecting in that regard? Well, Cause physically, not, I, I think, yeah. I'm not old enough to remember when automobiles first became ubiquitous, but I'm gonna imagine that at some point there were people saying, well, we can't just let anybody drive a car because, you know, they don't know how internal combustion works and they're going to run people over and, and you know, they're, they're going to disrupt the cattle. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'm guessing that that all that uh, that took place. And yet yeah. now we live in a world where lots of people drive and and yes, some people get killed in car wrecks, but by and large, the automobiles largely beneficial. Um, so, so you're proposing an internet license, you know, that you need to get something like a driving license, but for getting online, is that what you're proposing? I, I would never propose such a thing. I think the car became ubiquitous before the licensing schemes were created. Uh, I, th I think it was the, the tail end following not, uh, not driving. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if. If we assume that the users are so incompetent that they can't be responsible for protecting themselves, is there any form of protection that could, in, in fact, be effective and useful without their cooperation? Would that ever work? I, I think that we see a little bit of that already with the auto-updating of certain IoT things. 
Um, in particular, I'm thinking of like uh, the the Wi-Fi that I have in my house. It's a, a brand that has an auto update feature. You, uh, it's it's enabled by default. We see it with Windows devices, Mac devices, iPhones, Android devices. They all have auto update features. However, to that point, I also have two specific examples that don't have that. And we 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 joke about the the refrigerator. I have a refrigerator that is on the internet. Um, <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I wasn't joking. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, I know that these things exist. Yeah, and. It has no why. Do you play Tetris on your fridge? I mean, <laughs> no, no, it, it it's not quite that sophisticated, but it does send me emails uh, when it say needs a new air filter or a new water filter because it has a water filtration system. It's you got an air are low on milk. You <laughs> should stop eating so much fried food. <laughs> yeah, both of those are true, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, mine is not quite that sophisticated. It doesn't have the big screen on it where you can see all that, all that stuff, but it does. Uh, what I was going to say was it, it has, uh, lit up icons on the front of the fridge, you know, so you can choose your ice, you know, if you want crushed ice, if you want cubed ice, if you want water, um, it's got an icon for replace the filter for the air, replace the filter for the water. It does not, however, have an icon for update firmware. It doesn't have any type of way to tell me. If there's even such a thing available, and in fact, in the several years that I've owned this refrigerator, I've never even thought, does it have an update? Does it need an update? How would I even get it? And if I could get it, how would I go through the process of doing so? And I'm a, an, an IT professional with years in the business, never even considered it. And, Second, and you don't know if it's auto-pulling such a thing? I have no idea. I okay. have no idea. I've never investigated my refrigerator's abilities on the internet or uh, <laughs> its exposure to that <laughs> to, to that matter. This sounds like a job for a would Rafty use it episode. Uh, <laughs> but but just like but you're already saying like it's it's sending email, so it has yes. an email server included. So you could be sending spam mail, and you would not know it. Yeah, absolutely. I would not yeah. know it. Now I can do things like, you know, uh, my my home internet is sophisticated enough. I can see each device's uh, bandwidth that it uses. So, you know, yeah. if I'm streaming a movie on my Fire Stick or something like that, I can see that that the amount of bandwidth it's using. I've never looked into or or, or cared to notice how much bandwidth my <laughs> my refrigerator uses. <laughs> but presumably, okay. I would I would notice it. But at the same time, there are thresholds to what would alert me. So yeah. if it's if it's beneath the threshold of an alert, you know, either a, a technological alert or or even just me browsing through my bandwidth usage, it it may not register that my refrigerator is doing something like that. So can let me ask you, Rafti, because you know you were the first one to say, well, the vendor has to do this because the vendor's kind of the only one in the position to do it effectively. Um, what if the vendor? does secure the thing. They follow all the industry standards. They they do all the recommendeds. And there's some zero-day exploit in there that they were completely unaware of, and there was realistically very little chance of them finding it in a million lines of code. That thing gets popped, and Matt's refrigerator does engage in phishing scams. How, mu how much punishment or how much liability should the refrigerator vendor now be responsible for if they can demonstrate that they tried to prove that they protected Matt. Ooh, great question. Uh, like my first, like my head immediately went, went to insurance, like, <laughs> like for stuff like this, I think we created sort of like the third Matt, like the third person in the room where we're like, this is an insurance case. <laughs> every every party did uh, like everything to their best knowledge. Let let's 
let's uh, let somebody else pay for it. <laughs> and you know what? I, I'm kind of in agreement with you here because um, I, I like the idea of insurer as regulator because before an, an underwriter is going to give you a policy, they're damn well going to make sure that you follow all of their standards for securing your network, right? Um, yeah. And I think that's a better driver than the government, you know, largely because government doesn't really have a stake in it. So they become a lazy customer. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. Um, and that's, an, that's an interesting point, though, because I do do cybersecurity insurance uh, assistance with some of my clients who, who get cybersecurity policies. I've never been approached by my home insurance, my homeowner's insurance, my car insurance and all that kind of stuff to do any sort of a cybersecurity for my for my home insurance. Now you, you you let off the the episode by talking about you know the the hypothetical of if someone comes to your house and and an IoT device uh, injures that person, well I actually carry an umbrella policy for my house because we used to throw parties quite a bit we'd have friends over with kids and stuff like that, in the event that someone is injured on my property we are covered, uh, up to a certain amount. However, that tends to go towards things like physical injury. So so in your scenario, if the vacuum truly did attack and injure someone. Yeah, they're covered by that policy, but that policy doesn't cover what if you injure someone virtually through the Internet? And I don't know that there's language yet available for such a type of thing. <laughs> oh, a and, and I agree with you. And I think uh, Rafti, again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Rafti was even suggesting that the vendor gets an insurance policy. Mm, yeah. And then if the vendor can demonstrate that they followed all of the requirements, then it's the insurer's job to pay up for the damages. Is that kind of what you were talking about? Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Okay, okay. I, was, I wasn't following the insurance. No, no, <laughs> but I, could totally, Matt, I totally get your thing too with the yeah. home liability. Anyone who has a dog should get that rider on their home insurance where it's the physical liability. If your dog bites someone, you, you know, you're protected from that liability through the, the, the insurance. That's definitely important. Um, however, the insurer then becomes a form of regulator because they'll tell you what kind of dog you can or cannot have, right? Right, right. Which sort of it, it gets me scared in regards to home insurance when they're saying, "Well, you need to have this brand of like uh, router or like Wi-Fi access points and stuff like that." I'm like, "Oh no, you're not gonna tell me what sort of hardware I'm putting into my house." <laughs> like this gets me scared. Don't don't like maybe <laughs> don't shout this too much from the rooftops. You know, um, I don't want them to get any funny ideas in that regard. <laughs> But yeah, that, but, I mean, that, that, that is a good point. I, I, in in doing cybersecurity insurance applications for for clients, yeah, they have re required maybe not a specific vendor, but they a certain technology. For instance, you know, Ben has joked before about EDR software and and how you know it's a joke and it's not a real thing. But insurance companies require uh, EDR software, which is a form of antivirus that's advanced and has uh, some some other capabilities and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, yeah, you can joke about whether it's real or not if, if it's just anti antivirus or if it's something else altogether. But if someone requires it, okay, then I, as the uh, uh, consultant, have to have to go to the client and say, okay, they're requiring that you have to get EDR software. Here are your options. Uh, here's the cost associated with it. And yeah, to, to that point, yeah, the insurance company does have does have some say in what you can and cannot do if you go with that insurance policy. Now, other insurance in, insurers may have other requirements, and you, as the consumer, have the ability to certainly shop around to find someone who, who would not uh, would or would not uh, maybe uh, specify something like that. But yeah, to your point, Rafti, 
if a cyber insurance said, oh, no, you have to use a D-Link or a Netgear device, uh, that's probably a bad sign. And you probably do need to shop around and find somebody else because that's. But, but I can totally see that, though. And, and, and uh, you know, it, I agree with Rofty. I don't want the insurers driving my home network. But if it's their money on the line, of course, they're going to tell you, hey, here's a list of our approved vendors. You need to pick one from column A, two from column B, and, and one from column C. That's totally what they're going to do to obviate their own liability. And they're going to go and they're going to inspect those vendors. They're, you know, they're going to go test those products because it's their money on the line, right? Um, right? But I still prefer this because what Matt said, I have a choice in who I want to be my underwriter. I, I of course, also have a choice whether I'm going to get insurance or not, but then... You know, <laughs> I may be accepting more risk than I want to. Um, but with a with a governmental mandate, if we did give this power to any kind of government or any kind of law enforcement, then you don't really have that choice anymore. They're going to divest you of the choice. They're going to start playing favorites. They're going to tell you which products you can or can't use, and that that leads to a whole bunch of second effect problems where. You know what happens with regulatory capture when certain vendors become a certain size and now the regulators are just promoting them because they are great contributors to political campaigns or because they have a huge tax base or they employ a lot of constituents right so i i like the idea of the insurers even though i agree with rafti i don't want anyone dictating to me what i should use on my network um no now, I don't know how it is in the US, but like um, there already is somebody putting network like equipment into my home and that's my ISP. And sort of like this was also the reason why I'm sort of asked like, okay, could it be the ISP's fault, you know, or like, could it be the ISP's responsibility to protect me and sort of like to tell Matt, well, your fridge is sending, like you're sending a lot of emails. Um, <laughs> and an interesting tidbit here, like I got, my uh, the capability of my phone to write texts was like blocked for a couple of weeks because they thought that I have like a texts bot on my phone, um, like that I got because you were just using that, it so much or what? Why? Why got, did they no? <laughs> I don't know. Like no, there there are like at the moment uh, in Austria or like for a couple of. Uh, months now um like you're getting text messages with a fishy link and if you click on it like what they do is like um install something that sends other texts from your device and so they thought that i got infected so my uh, my sort of like phone carrier blocked me from the capability of spreading this um which was of course a very interesting experience um and it's turned out to be not true uh, but like they could absolutely do stuff like that, probably like with your like home network as well, especially if they at least have the modem, which is theirs probably. Um, but in like, at least around here, most cases, the router, which includes an access point and some basic switch, of course, as well. So like there are your gate into like the Internet. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, I totally agree. And yes, um, I, I don't know how it is for you, Matt, but in pretty much every state I've ever lived since I started getting Internet, the ISP wants to send you their equipment to use. You're, you're either leasing it or borrowing it for a certain amount of time. You have to return it to them at the end of the period, or if they update it, you send it back, they send you a new one. Um, or they'll give you a list of approved devices that you can go out and purchase yourself and then 
set it up by walking through their process. Matt, is that similar to where you're at? Yeah, yeah, that very much so. And I'm fortunate that uh, I switched over to Fiverr back during the pandemic, and they, they they also wanted to install their own firewall. And I said, no, 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 I'm good. I've got my own. <laughs> and they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. I, <laughs> and and so they literally just gave me a, a a bare fiber drop, and I plugged it in, and, and I was good to go. So I'm not using theirs. So there are options with some ISPs, but yeah, other ISPs, yeah, very much so. It's particularly thinking about the cable and the uh, the DSL type uh, uh, ISPs out there. Yeah, they want their own equipment um, in there. And to Rafi's point, that is. But, but oh, and, and I just want to say, we can understand them wanting their own specifically for this problem, so that they can, you know, manage a homogenous environment right. as opposed to onesie twosie across everybody's different setup, right? Right, right, yeah, because they have a scale of economy where they have right. to manage all this type of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, if you've got a hundred thousand devices, you want them all to be as similar as possible, obviously. But uh, yeah, what I was going to say, Rafi, was uh, what you were describing in terms of the ISP contacting an end user and saying something to the effect of, oh, by the way, you did something wrong. Um, that's happened to me. And uh, over the years, I don't know if you recall, but BitTorrent was a big thing for a long time. And if uh, I'm not sure that it's as big uh, anymore, but uh, uh, someone on my network, I won't say who, went out and downloaded something so let's say it was like a adobe acrobat oh just adobe acrobat sure you know the full version which is like a 300 hundred dollar piece of software <laughs> and uh installed it and but it was it was caught uh because uh the link uh was on was on BitTorrent, and all of a sudden my isp shut off my internet because of activity that was that they had deemed unacceptable because they had gotten a cease and desist from adobe Adobe had tracked uh, who had downloaded this product. It was like a this was, this was a pirated version on the Bitcoin. Right. Is what you're right, okay. Right, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and same with like music, movies, and stuff like that. You know, with BitTorrent, they can track who's downloading cer certain things. And so they had tracked it to my IP address, uh, sent a cease and desist to my ISP. My ISP said, "Okay, we'll 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 take care of it." And the way that they took care of it was they shut off my internet and they sent sent me a message and said, uh, "You were you were caught downloading this. Uh, no more internet for you until you call us and explain and grovel." And uh, you're you're and... guilty until proven innocent. Right. Right. Exactly. And is <laughs> is that now is that a legitimate usage of the ISP's authority. I mean, if we're pushing back on the vendors to accept responsibility, don't they also get to do enforcement? Uh, Rafti, what do you think here? Wow. <laughs> I think I need to do some more thinking. <laughs> no, and this is the tough point. part. You know, this, this yeah, is the trade-off. Um, you know, I, twice last year, I received cease and desists uh, about my wannabe content people accusing me of stealing their content. And because of the way the DMCA works, um, you know, it, the, the providers always shut down the content first until I can prove that it's actually mine. And if you wanna find an interesting theoretical discussion, try to prove you own something that you do own, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, you know, in both cases, it was mine and uh, it was, the accusers just basically using a shotgun blanket approach saying they just sent out a bunch of message to, to a bunch of hosts saying all of this stuff is ours and everybody is pirating it. And and the enforcement was, okay, we'll accept your word for it and shut all these people down until they can prove otherwise. Now that's a non-technical denial of service, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
and the hosts are acting in good faith. They don't want any part of this. They don't want they don't want to get in any legal um, dispute between any parties. So all they do is turn off service. And I'm wondering, Rafti, if we give the providers this responsibility and this culpability, are we going to run into more situations like that for home users? If someone's mad at an ex or a spouse, can they just reach in and shut off their internet by calling their provider and saying that that person is doing something untoward? Uh, great question. No, I'm just pointing out that maybe the ISP can also be sort of like because of like their access to your network um be part of this solution because i think we we sort of like need one more and more and i was only partly joking i mean after i said the thing with the the internet license like i don't know um like my wife and her like siblings they're all like very like how they browse the internet is very funny to me you know and i'm always I, like I consider their devices as not being like <laughs> safe and secure. I would never plug a USB stick into one of their devices if you know what I mean. Like it's it's getting if infected. Like <laughs> I can already see that. Um, so and uh, and yeah, so stuff like that. I'm just like curious, like what who can do what and what should they do? And I think you're making a great point that ISPs maybe should not be involved in, in providing a solution there because they should be like the pipes. They should be like the electricity uh, vendor, maybe more or less, you know, um, where <laughs> I don't know if you if you um produce moonshine in your backyard like the electricity provider cannot shut you down you know just because you're doing something that might not be correct the can actually actually in america no that does happen and, really? and, and okay. let, me tell, let me tell you how creepy it gets in america rafty okay i'm sorry <laughs> there were there were law enforcement entities that were going through people's power bills based on the number of occupants and the size of the property, like the size of the home, and doing math and saying, well, this house, this address is using more than the average amount of electricity. Now we should go look at that house. And it turned out that that house was using, you know, grow lights and they were, you know, they were growing marijuana. That's exactly what I was I was thinking of. Yeah, if you want to grow marijuana illegally in America, you you find an alternate source of power so that it doesn't uh, flag the power company. Seriously, uh, that, that, no, and and I'm not saying that this is, but like, is the power company then shutting you down? Like, okay. and is this is with, it done? With law okay, they can't. Yeah. Uh, during during the pandemic, so, but it's not the power company, during, so it's the law the enforcement doing it. So, and I'm not saying like with the ISP that it might not like we're going, but like what I'm saying is what what I would love to see is that maybe the ISP is more like a utility in that regard. Just saying. Okay, all right, I, and I get that. And yes, and during the <laughs> pandemic in California, they were shutting people's power off because they thought people were violating. Uh, occupancy and having parties just because you were uh, suspected of having a party, they were shutting power off to your house. Um, in reality, they were just crypto mining because back then, mm -hmm. at the start of the pandemic, yeah. <laughs> cryptocurrencies yeah. were going through the roof. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it gets pretty ugly even when there's that centralized uh, control. So I don't know. I don't think there's a good answer here. Um, I think it's going to have to evolve legally, and I think. 
it's worth it to us as practitioners with knowledge of the industry and, and understanding the concepts to keep an eye on it. Because we've already seen that politicians are probably the worst um, stewards of this kind of protection. And uh, they really don't understand um, tertiary effects of this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think I think we should pay attention for sure. Um, uh, I know this is going to be a short episode, but uh, uh, we've got other things this week. Um, any last thoughts, uh, anything going on in current events, anything y'all want to share? Well, uh, the only thing I wanted to share was that the chat GPT and AI revolution backlash has begun and I could not be happier because everybody is finally figuring out that these, um, uh, so-called artificial intelligences are actually, uh, not very good. And I'm, I, I, all I have to say is I was right all along. Let's do, <laughs> let's do. Let's do an episode about that. Maybe even next episode. Okay, sure. Definitely dive into AI. I would love to talk about that. Rafti, anything you want to add? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I just want to uh, close off thanking Matt. Uh, for our listeners, you've noticed last week we started running a new promo at the beginning of the episode uh, for Want to Practice, the, the app for studying for industry certifications. Um, and Matt produced this awesome promo. I really, really like it. Matt, great job. Take a oh. virtual bow. Well, uh, thank you. I couldn't have done it without you. I, I finally cajoled you into actually recording some copy that I could I could lay a bed down. So it was all you. You you wrote all the words. All I did was put some music underneath it and chopped it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, I was I was proud of that. I haven't produced a segment of music in a very, very long time. And it was fun to get back into it. So hopefully, uh, I, I know that Ben appreciates it and that's all I really cared about. But if anybody else does as well, of course, go to Wanna Practice. But uh, I had fun doing that little ad. Excellent. Well, then you know what? Then I'll then I'll record some more. Recording's easy. So yeah. I'll record some more. <laughs> we can play with it and I'll give you lots of uh, things to practice with. And if anyone has any ideas of how they want to hear Ben record uh, an ad for Wanna Practice, uh, he's 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 already offered to do a squeaky clown voice. But if you have any other uh, themes behind uh, how you'd like to hear ads, let us know. In a world. <laughs> in a world where practice questions are hard to find. Oh, I'd see, I'd be, I'd be all about this. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know Matt's throwing me under the bus, but I'll take it. I'll take You give us a challenge for a style of recording and we'll record one like that. <laughs> all right. Until next week, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. I'm Rafael Fiedler. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener, Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com, and that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to Ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out 
or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com, and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.